doing your homework until the last minute. So, uh, have fun with that. Thing to see you. <laughs> hey, if you're new here, we particularly want to say hey to you. We're so glad you chose to join us. If you want to get on our email list over there, um, sitting beside our offering on the table, which I will put behind there, that is not secure. <laughs> Thanks, Miriam. Miriam's our intern. She's a real go-getter. <laughs> Let's hear it from Miriam. Such as the information that Doug and Kristen Varela, uh, some friends of ours who cook dinner for us sometimes at Connection, man, they smoked meat for us for barbecue for tonight. They made cornbread, they made homemade cake. Guys, the Varelas are awesome, so make sure you say thank you. And just so you know, like the Varelas, like they both work full time, and they also have three foster kids. No, four foster kids. They don't have a, they're like my age. I can't take care of a dog. <laughs> so when you see them, say thank you. They love you guys. That's why they make you food. Um, you may have heard Bob talk about this this morning. If you were in our Sunday morning worship, we have a mission focus coming up. Uh, we're calling it Following Jesus into the World for the month of April. And one of the things that we have coming is the World Vision Experience. They're calling this uh, experience Following Jesus into the Margin. So basically what's happening is this... Uh, this massive semi-truck is coming here to Bloomington, and my remote is not working. Technology is awesome when it works, but when it doesn't work, it's not awesome. <laughs> and so, I'm going to go over and flip through these slides, because there aren't that many of them, and they're worth seeing. Check out this, uh, this, this bus that I'm about to pull up, and I have failed so far. Really bad bus. Yeah. <laughs> And I have no idea how that just came up. <laughs> this is a mystery to me. There we go. So this is, this is the truck, the World Vision Experience. They bring this thing all over the country. And what they do is try and give people an idea of the situations that they support. So the World Vision Experience is going to give us uh, 20 minutes where we walk around this trailer. You wear headphones. And it's kind of a mobile exhibit, so you'll get to see witness despair and hope in a brothel in Southeast Asia, see how God is working in the midst of the Syrian refugee crisis, enjoying Christ in the midst of extreme poverty in Africa. Let's see what comes up next. Oh, this is actually what it's supposed to be. So this is another shot from inside the truck. They've got it set up with these cool little scenes, and uh, yeah, so our goal is to get 650 people through here in three days. And it'll be open Friday evening, then a slot on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and then also on Sunday morning as we lead into the worship services. And uh, boom, that's all I've got for slides. And so we're really excited about this. We'll give you more information about it as the event draws near. But your main task will be to get people on board. What's that humming noise? And Mike? Just Nice, thank you. One other announcement. If you are interested in our 2016 summer mission trip, we're going to Dominican Republic uh, with Mission Emmanuel. They're a partner ministry of ours here at ECC. We've sent college teams there before. We've sent high school groups. And actually, the director who started Mission Emmanuel is coming to preach here at ECC on April 10th as part of our missions month. And so his name is Jack Larson. He's a good guy. He's super fired up about missions. And, uh, yeah, he'll get you excited about Mission Emmanuel and all that they're doing. So tonight, after Connection, we're having that meeting. 
I'll take a look at the watch when we're done, and then we can figure out what time we're going to meet, because I sure want some food before we go into that. It won't be a long meeting, but I want this food. Um, last up, exciting, next week we have a special guest coming, Adam Beaver, our bass player. His dad's going to come preach at Connection. He's a pastor down in Evansville, Indiana, at uh, Christian Fellowship Church, and so he's going to come speak, give you guys some insight on living out your faith in Christ in college. So... Really looking forward to that. It feels like so long since we've been in our uh, Life in the Kingdom of God series because we had the Super Bowl, then the snow cancellation, then the marriage panel. And so I am excited to be back preaching tonight. I felt absolutely useless the past three weeks. And so <laughs> I'm just so thankful that I can uh, earn my keep again. It's good to be back up here. Tonight I get to share with you one of my favorite passages in Scripture, the story of the prodigal God. But before I get into that, I want to ask you a question. You may have seen this dynamic develop in your lives already, but have any of you gotten gifts uh, for Christmas or your birthday and it was a book? And you're like, huh, like my mom just gave me a book on like how to do laundry. Uh, have you ever gotten a gift like that where it's like, whoa, I guess I should take the hint? Uh, for example, one of my friends who's a youth pastor, he received for his birthday four books from a girl from his youth group that were all about counseling teens, like how to, talk to, how to talk to teens about their problems, how to talk to teens about faith in Christ. And he was like, wow, I guess I better take the hint. Like this student thinks I've absolutely failed at counseling her. <laughs> and, uh, you're going to see it, guys. You're going to start getting books for Christmas. Take the hint. Um, Hopefully none of you are getting books on like why showering is really valuable. <laughs> but uh, seven years ago, I got a book from my brother for Christmas, and it was called <laughs> The Prodigal God, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith. And it's a book by Tim Keller. And when I got this book, I was like, oh, thanks for the book. But are you trying to like say, like, I don't get what the Christian faith is about? Like, I'm a youth pastor. I probably, I felt like I don't really need a book about the heart of the Christian faith. I think I already get this. Um, and so I got that book, it was over Christmas, and I took it with us on our honeymoon, and I read this, this book on our honeymoon, actually, and I was totally floored by what I read. It opened my eyes to understanding what it means to have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ in a totally new way. Um, I went into reading that book like, yeah, I guess I better read this because I know my brother's going to ask me if I did because he got it for me as a gift, to thinking like, wow, I thought I knew what the prodigal son parable was all about. But God just uh, really did a work in my heart in a powerful way through reading that book and also through some experiences I had going on in my life at that time. And so uh, The Prodigal God was a book that really influenced me and my faith in Christ and it influenced a lot of what I'm going to share with you in this sermon tonight. So I hope that, uh, I hope that this parable speaks to you in a powerful way. And so I want to give you a little background on this story. I'm sure you've heard it before. It appears in Luke chapter 15. And here Jesus is talking with some tax collectors and some sinners. Um, it says, you know, just assorted sinners. And some Pharisees and some teachers of the law were looking on and they were talking bad about Jesus for hanging out with these sinners. And they were saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so the prodigal son here is this story where Jesus is addressing two different groups. He's addressing these sinners, these tax collectors, and he's also addressing the Pharisees. And the prodigal son parable comes third in a series of parables here in Luke 15. The first two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And these stories, what they illustrate is God's desire for sinners to be restored to relationship with him. For them to turn from their sin and towards God for what was once lost to be found. 
And so this third story that Jesus tells here, it builds on that truth, but also takes it a step further. And so I want to pray for us right now because I know that a lot of us have been in the church for a while. And you've probably heard this story a bunch of times. And I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes when I'm really familiar with the Bible passage, I can be like, yeah, I've, I've taken what I can from this. But, man, I can't tell you how often it's happened to me where when I've opened myself up to hearing from God in a new way, he's used the same words I've heard 500 times to do something completely new in my heart. So why don't I pray for us right now that God would just give us ears to hear his word as we look at this parable together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us. We know that it is powerful, that it's living, that it's active. And God, it cuts deep into us. It cuts to the heart. And so I just pray that tonight your spirit would speak to us in a new way, that you would give us ears to hear the truth. God, that we would be open to a fresh work um, in response to the good news of Jesus Christ and his coming to earth. And so we thank you for this teaching, and we pray that uh, you would just be among us. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to hand out copies of this passage just because I think it's really important for all of us to have the text in front of us. So I'm going to hand these out to um, Ian, and I'm going to hand some out over to Dalton. You guys can pass these around and follow along. So we're here in Luke chapter 15. Let's go into the story. Beginning in verse 11, we're going to verse 32 here tonight. So we start. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. He divided his property between them. And so Jesus' original audience, when they would have heard that first line that it's easy for us to read past, they're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That seriously happened? This son, this younger son, goes to his father and asks him, to divide his estate between them. For Jesus' original audience, this would have been a huge deal because respect for one's father was of utmost importance in ancient Near Eastern culture. And so this younger son, for him to go to his father and ask for his inheritance while he was still alive was basically to say to him, Dad, I am done with you. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance money now. This would have been a huge blow to the father. His reputation, it would have been a huge blow to his estate. It would have been a massive hit if he granted this son's request. But he does it. He makes the sacrifice at a great expense to himself and to the rest of his family. Listen to this. The text, when it says he divided his property between his two sons, the word in the original Greek there is bios, which literally translates to life. He divided his life between his two sons. And so now, moving into verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So we follow along in this story. We see that this younger son, he goes with all of his cash to this far off land and he just 
blows it in finding fulfillment in the ways of this world, and his funds dry up. So make a note on your sheet, wild living is not a wise use of your inheritance. Um, but this son, he's in a desperate place there. He's working for a stingy pig farmer who won't even let him eat pea pods. Man, what a terrible place to be. He went from trying to be the king of the world by getting everything he could to give himself pleasure to being the lowest of the low. He's in a terrible place. He's absolutely desperate. And he thinks to himself, what could possibly be worse? Man, not much. What are his options here? It seems like maybe going back home and trying to see if the father would possibly take him in is the way to go. And so he comes up with this plan. He's going to head home. He's going to ask his father for a chance to pay back his debt as a hired employee. That's his plan. Maybe he could eventually restore himself for the mistakes he'd made and the ways he'd insulted the father. And so that's his plan, to go back to the father. So he leaves the pig pen, he's journeying home. Imagine what must have been going on in his mind as he's making this walk of shame back home. He's thinking about the mistakes he's made. He's thinking about how big of an idiot he'd been and telling the father, I pretty much wish you were dead. Can I just have my money already? He's thinking about his foolishness. But he also knows that the father is really his best shot at a meal plan. That's the best chance he has of getting a roof over his head. And so he has to at least try and see if the father will take him back. And so he's making his trip back home. We're back in the text. We see, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And this really is significant, too. In ancient Near Eastern culture, it was considered humiliating for a middle-aged man to run. But this father, he doesn't just jog out to meet his son. The Greek word used here for run is the word dremon, a word that denoted a type of foot race that takes place in a stadium. So how crazy is that to think about? This father's like, forget cultural propriety. He books it. He flat out books it to meet his son. This old guy with arms and knees going everywhere, holding up his skirt so he can get out there. He's booking it across the desert to meet his son. That's how excited he is. This father can't believe what he's seeing. And so the son sees him running. The father runs up to him and he kisses him. The Greek word here used for kiss means he kissed him again and again. This father is expressing his joy, his excitement in the most extreme way possible that his son has returned. And so the son, he's kind of in shock. He doesn't know how to handle this welcome. This certainly wouldn't have been what he expected. I mean, he told the father, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance? Now he returns home and the father is just losing it with excitement. And so the son is like, man, maybe my speech to like see if the father will take me back and let me earn my spot back at home and maybe like pay back my debt so I'm not ashamed to my family. Maybe he'll actually receive that. And so he launches into his speech. In verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And, but before he can even finish, before he can even finish his speech to launch into his sales pitch to become an employee for the father, the father interrupts him and the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I love that. The father doesn't even care to hear what he has to say. He doesn't want to hear his little sales pitch to become a hired man. 
This son is not earning his way back as an employee. He's coming home as a son right here and now. And so the father, he completely restores him. We read in the passage, he gives him his best robe. He gives him sandals for his feet. So at that time, slaves went shoeless. But this is a son. He needed some shoes, so the father gives him sandals. He places a ring on his finger. The father's signet ring would have given him the power to enact business on his father's behalf. And so he's fully restoring him. He's fully restored. And the father throws him this top-notch welcome-home feast in the community. The fatted calf. I love veal. I would love that party. And so this is a public display of the father's pride and affection. What has been lost has now been found, and the father rejoices. That same theme from those first two parables in Luke 15. And so it's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate the father's son has returned, and so he's beginning this party, but there's one person missing. We pick back up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So this older brother finds out his younger brother's return, and that would have made him mad enough. I mean, think about this. If you're the older brother, you're like, that punk is back after what he pulled? How dare he come home? And imagine how much more angry it would have made him to think not only did he come home, but he's being treated like a war hero who's returned. He's being welcomed with open arms, with joy, with celebrating. Are you kidding me? How is this happening? And so, I've got to be honest, part of me is like, can you really blame this older brother? I mean, after what this little punk pulled, he's coming back and he's being welcomed like this? Like, how can this be? And so the older brother, he refuses to go into the feast. I mean, why would he celebrate this screw-up's return and restoration? It just doesn't make sense. He didn't deserve to have anything positive come his way. And so if I'm being guided here and thinking about this story by a principle that people should really get what they deserve, this older brother, his anger, it really does seem justified to me. But one thing that we also need to know about this culture is that the entire village would have been invited to such a feast, and the older son, he would have been expected to help host the feast along with his father. And so for this older son not to go, let alone host, that was a really big deal. That's another blow to the father's reputation. And so how does the father handle this? What does he do? He doesn't say, oh my gosh, how dare that older son refuse to host this party. He doesn't say that. He humbles himself yet again. He goes out looking for the older son, and he begs him to come in. Back in verse 28, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So for just a few seconds here, let's think about these two brothers. This older brother, he had acted responsibly. He kept the rules. He was a moral person. He worked hard. He'd always done the right thing, at least... 
That's what he thought. That's what he thought about himself. And then this younger brother, he's the rebel. He's the, he's the free spirit. He sought his self-realization first, self-discovery. That was his chief priority. And he screwed up majorly in his pursuit of happiness and the things of this world. It was plain to see his error. And so how do those paths work out for these brothers? How does it work out? It works out like this. The screw-up returns home in shame and becomes the guest of honor, while the good guy doesn't even get honorable mention. I mean, the frustration that this older brother had to have over being overlooked, he was just furious. And we see at the end of the story, he's the one who feels like he deserves the celebration. He deserves the celebration. I mean, in his perspective, the universe just seems backwards here. How can it work out this way? I mean, so much for justice, right? How's the, how's the father respond to that feeling, this, this feeling of entitlement that this older brother has for doing the right thing? He deserves to be blessed for his obedience. How does the father respond to that feeling? He says, listen, I have always loved you and everything I have has always been yours. I'm throwing this party for your brother because we thought we'd lost him. He was gone, but now he's home. And so we have to celebrate we have to celebrate. And so, that's not justice. It's certainly not justice. But it's something even better. If we define grace as unmerited favor, the unmerited favor of God, what more powerful display of grace do we have in this story? We see the father's love for his younger son and welcoming home this person who completely is undeserving of it. And that drives us back to that main theme of those earlier parables. God loves sinners, and he's eager to welcome home anyone who turns back to him. And so remember, Jesus, he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors here, and he tells this story. He wants them to know that God does not want to hold their sins against them. He wants them to turn from their sin and their self-centeredness and to come to him for mercy. But we need to remember that Jesus wasn't just talking to tax collectors and sinners here. He was also talking to those Pharisees. And his intent with this parable was to open the eyes of his entire audience to see that there's only one way to a relationship with the Father. That's grace. And so this parable, look at the way it ends there. It ends with this conversation between the father and the older brother. Without telling us the big brother's response to what the father last says. And so Jesus, he leaves the story unfinished here to make those Pharisees think about how they've been trying to relate to God. He's trying to make them think. So choose your ending to this story. Will the older son let the father's love and his grace for the younger brother be enough? Will this older brother join in the father's joy and welcome his younger brother home? Or will he stay outside because of his anger over the grace that his brother has received? How's Big Brother going to respond? And the question at stake here is what is going to be the guiding principle for this older brother in the way that he's going to relate to his father? What's going to be the guiding principle for the way he relates to his brother, his fellow man? Is it going to be grace? Or is it going to be justice based on his own understanding of self-righteousness? And so... Do you see what Jesus, do you see what he's doing here? He's trying to get the Pharisees to see that this isn't the story of one lost brother. This is the story of two lost brothers. 
the younger son was lost in seeking his own self-fulfillment, and the older brother was lost in seeking his own self-righteousness. They both wanted the father's blessings as a means to get what they wanted for themselves. And so the younger son, he took the father's wealth to find life in the things of this world, while the older son wanted to control the father through his obedience. His attitude was, if I play by the rules, then the father will have to bless me. He'll have to give me what I feel I deserve. If I'm a good and moral person, if I play by all the rules, if I do what's right. Tim Keller wrote in The Prodigal God, This parable illustrates the kingdom reality that both irreligious, self-discovery-oriented lifestyles and religious, moral conformity-based lifestyles ultimately both lead to spiritual emptiness. What he's saying is both of these brothers were lost. The younger son's lostness may have been more blatant, but the older brother was just as lost. And so this parable... Man, it smacks us across the face with the truth that each and every single one of us is lost. We're alienated from God because of our sin. And we may go about it in different ways, but we have all set ourselves up as the God of our lives. And our own self-fulfillment is our greatest desire. I've got a psalm I want to share as an illustration. My sister and brother are super into music, and they recommend artists to me because I am not good at like knowing what's cool and current. And my sister, uh, she does a lot in booking musicians to play concerts at her college. And she booked a, a group recently called the Oh Hellos. I don't know if any of you have heard of them, but they have this song called I Was Wrong. And when I, the first time I heard this song, like I was like choking back some tears because I was like, man, this story captures uh, the essence of the human condition. Uh, since the fall of man in the garden, we've been trying to put ourselves at the center of the story. And so this, this song tells that story in a beautiful way, but it also gives us uh, a picture of our hope that we have in Christ at the end. And so Emily's going to play this for us. I want you to know the lyrics are on the back of your scripture verse. I'd love it if you would follow along and just let these words, uh, yeah, just take them in. The song is four minutes, just so you know.
So whether you're that younger sibling lost in your pursuit of self-discovery or that older sibling lost in your efforts towards self-righteousness, we all have to recognize that we've been wrong. We've looked for life in the wrong places. But the good news is that if you come to a realization of your sin and you think that God can never forgive you, you're wrong again. I love the way that song puts it. God can forgive us. And not only is he able to forgive us, but he's eager to forgive us. He's sprinting out to us with grace like that father in the parable. He wants us to come home so much that he took the cost for that to happen upon himself. God allowed his own son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins that we might be forgiven and adopted into his family when we look to him in faith. And that's, that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what life in the kingdom is all about. Living in relationship with God our Father by the grace he offers us in Jesus Christ. And that's what this parable is all about. There's one way to relationship with the Father. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. Not like the younger son wanting to return home and work his way back into the family. Not like the older son playing by the rules to deserve the Father's blessings. The only way to relationship with God is by grace through faith in Christ. And relationship, it can't be merited. It can only be received as a free gift. Man, the first time I read that book, The Prodigal God, this, like I said, this just smacked me across the face. Because I, it smacked me across the face. Because I have to tell you, I grew up in the church. And my faith in Christ was something that was really important to me from a very early age. But I so often lived... Like my relationship with God depended on what I did, um, not to earn it in the first place, but what I did to maintain it. Was I being a good enough Christian? Was I consistent enough in my spiritual disciplines? Was I, you know, making progress in the sins that I was constantly battling? Was I doing a good enough job to make God happy? And so I was just wearing myself out in my elder brother lostness because so many times my view of my relationship with God was based on what I felt like I had to do through my own efforts at self-righteousness to earn God's favor or to keep it. Man, I was missing out on grace. If you're there right now, listen to me. God's grace in Christ is enough for you. You can rest. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to deserve what you already have. God loves you. He has saved you that you might enjoy life and relationship with Him. All because of His love. You're His child. And that's the end of the story. That's the end. And there are some great applications I could make to this parable about evangelism, uh, sharing the gospel, communicating your faith to the people in your life. And I want you to think about those things throughout this week. I'd really encourage you to read over this passage a few more times. But I just want to stop right now without going into any of those applications because it is so important to me that you just take this to heart as an individual. I want you to think about the basis of your relationship with God. Will you accept his grace for you in Christ as a free gift? And will you rest in God's love? Will you let the good news make it all the way to your heart? Will you let it make it to your heart? It's easy to keep it up here in our mind without letting the truth transform us. Because of God's love for you, you're his child. That's all because of grace. And so it's only when that message transforms our hearts that we can think about how we're to live in response. And so let that truth let it just marinate in your heart. Take that in. 
I want to pray for us now and just give you an opportunity to reflect in prayer silently. Uh, bring whatever God is doing in your life to Him. And then the band is going to close us with a song. So band, you all can come forward and I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and reflect on some truth that is absolutely transformational about the way that we view our lives, our very lives, God, um, our basis for a relationship with you. God, life in the kingdom and being a part of your family, it's something that we have the opportunity to do, um, something that we have the opportunity to experience completely apart from our own deserving, our, our own earning, God. The good news of our faith is that though we have wronged you, though we have made ourselves at the center of the story, you are able to forgive us, and you are eager to forgive us, God. You're able to give us grace upon grace. Grace to welcome us home into your family, and grace for every moment of our lives as we journey with you in faith. And so, God, I pray for uh, everyone who's here right now. You know where they're at, God. You know their heart. We know that you're powerful to meet us right where we are. And so, God, we just pray that you would be, um, in this moment, doing the work that you need to do in our hearts. Um, God, help us to rest in your grace. Help us to know your love and to be people who are transformed by that love. That we would love others because we are so aware of what you've done for us. Help us to be secure, God. Help us to not doubt our status as your children. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we offer our words now as we sing together up to you as our prayer of thanksgiving. We pray this together in Christ's name.